and I'm excited for the message series we're in, the I Am Statements of Jesus, which are originated from the Old Testament and Moses when met in the burning bush a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to rehash that, but what Jesus, when he's saying I am, it's significant because he's referring back to the I am, the God revealing himself to Moses in the burning bush. So these were big words that when he's saying I am, And then he gives some descriptions, seven statements, seven descriptive statements of who God is. And there's there's uh, I'm excited uh, too as well because in summer church there's a lot of summer awesome things going on our next gen ministries and so our middle school camp got back a week ago and they had an awesome awesome time uh, some great commitments made to Jesus uh, both first time and recommitments pray for our young people today our high schoolers uh, uh, they'll be they're coming back from Tampa Florida this is uh, earlier this week and this is uh, earlier this week just pictures of can you imagine worshiping uh, with uh, all over United States and Canada 10,000 plus Nazarene kids and young people, and so uh, we're excited for them. They've had a great week. Can't wait to hear about the great report, but I couldn't be any more excited to be here as they are to be there. I am excited about you. I'm excited about Summer Church and those who join us online because you want to grow. You want to grow closer to Him, and so we're going to dive in to another I Am statement today, and it is the I Am I uh, from found in John 10, 9. I am the gate, Jesus said. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. And we're going to dive into some shepherd sheep language, which we do that from time to time because that's where Jesus spent some of his time talking. Uh, for us, it's a little bit foreign. We have, we have um, definitely we have ranchers in our church. We have farmers in our church. I still have yet, and I could be corrected, maybe it'll be the day. Someone will come up and say, I'm a shepherd. I got sheep. So maybe we have it. I'm just not aware of it. But I know we have cattle ranchers. I know that we have farmers. But uh, shepherd sheep language is something that is not as prevalent to our everyday language. But it's like coffee shops and talking sports in our society today. That's how commonplace it was. And so I'm trying to think of things that kind of help me resonate and relate to it. And when, he, when Jesus said, I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved, they will come in and go out and find pasture. I thought about what it's been like parents, and if you're empty nesters like me, or if you have teenagers right now, uh, or you had teenagers, parents and grandparents, remember the days, I have a 23 and 21-year-old, almost 21-year-old, I, I, I miss the days where they, they came in and out of the house in their high school days. You know, they would just, you'd just leave the garage door, the inside garage door, you always left it open, you never locked it, uh, because you know, the garage door up, we might be in bed, but I loved having that come and go, uh, entering when they wanted to, leaving when they wanted. It was just a nice, and what made it even better was when their friends came, and so their friends were coming and going, and you know, that those are, that's a freedom that, that, they, that they grow, and they mature, and they learn, and, and we love that season of life when our children when they're coming and they're going and they're finding that it's a safe place to come home and go in and out of. And I, I see that picture in the way of Jesus saying, they will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. There's a safe place. There's a safe place home. And I am the gate. I am the gate. This is good news today because we are living in a world of doubts. 
And by the way, if you come here with doubts, it's okay. This is a safe place to bring your doubts. We believe you belong here, but we also like to say around here, it's okay to belong before you believe. We want you to believe, but it's okay while you wrestle with your doubts because we're living in a world of doubts. And I was watching, um, reading an article about the chosen and the and the the originators of that, and they were talking about the reason they uh, started that, produced that, was because of a study that they've read and seen that over the last 25 years, there's been a 23 percent drop of not interested in religion, not interested. And so that continues to feed more doubts. Um, I have good news to say, I'm the kind of half-full kind of guy, and I believe we're not, we're not seeking religion. We're seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're seeking, we're seeking a personal relationship, not a religion. I, I want to run from religion too. We're, we're searching for and seeking uh, something so much more than that. We're seeking a relationship with Him. But in all those doubts and all those things, people are ask, asking the question, that we've been asking, who is Jesus? And it's the question that every one of you has to ask or will ask or has already asked, uh, or it's the question that those who have gone before us have asked, and those who go after us will ask. Whether they know they asked this question or not, this is the question everyone has to answer. Who is Jesus? And we've talked about some options. You know, is he just a good man? Is he a good teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he, is, he, is he God? Is he not? Is he lunatic? Is he a liar? Is he Lord? What is Jesus? We are taking our cue from Jesus himself and these statements of Jesus who said seven different things of describing who he is. First of all, the I am is on equal playing field with I am, which is just I'm God. He's making a bold and big statement, which uh, was good for good news for some and others. They they rejected that, and and it just made them steaming mad. The deeper thing about I am the gate, though, today is is uh, this. It's this idea of coming and going, finding safe pastures. That there's this a, a gate is a place means when it's open up, you have access to it, and when we've been given access. That is what a, a gate gives us. And Jesus saying, I'm the gate. I'm giving you access to the Father. And, and I thought of another way that I could maybe describe this is when I was pre-pastor, uh, when I was first married, I was an insurance salesman. I sold commercial insurance for a company called Federated uh, for three years, and I went to equipment dealers and auto dealers and machine shops and oil jobbers, and I would go and I would do my best to sell any kind of insurance, insurance they would let me sell. But I didn't take a genius to find out within just about a week who the most important person was in any of those businesses or organizations. It was the person at the front desk. It was the assistant. It was the office manager. It, was, it could have been the receptionist. That was the most important person in that business because to me, I couldn't get anywhere else if I didn't build a relationship, make a friend, find favor. I, that was the gatekeeper of the business. And Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I am the one that you have to go through to get to the Father. I'm the one that you have to go through to get to God. I am the one who has all access. And so, 
Today I want to back up to chapter 9 this morning first before we hit chapter, the rest of chapter 10 because uh, Jesus, many of his parables, many of the things that, the things that he shared was drawn from experience. He was dealing with what, the, what they were dealing with at, at that time. And, you know, there's going to be other statements that you're going to see it was drawn from an experience. And the experience here was found in, in chapter 9 where, and it'll make sense here in a little bit, when Jesus, um, he came across this blind man. And so we're going to back up to chapter 9 and see that as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, these disciples, well-intentioned, good-intentioned, had some bad theology and some bad doctrine. Today, we can have some well-intentioned people, and we got to pay attention to God's Word that can give us bad theology and bad doctrine. we got to pay attention and, and Jesus had these disciples, he, they were still in training, they're still growing, but they'd grown up with this idea, this bad theology, this bad doctrine that if someone was disabled, there was a cause and effect, there was a reason that they, they had been cursed by God, that they had, either their parents had sinned or, or they had sinned. I'm thankful that we don't deal with that bad theology in this church, and most churches don't deal with that bad theology, but it's commonplace back then. We have other things that we struggle with and deal with, but this was, this was a, hey, someone had to do something wrong. Someone, someone, did, someone did bad. And it was, it was it mom, was it dad, was it, was, was it, was it the man? Who, who caused this to happen? And I'm so thankful that Jesus, being perfect that he was and is, has good doctrine and good theology. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I have this thought. One of the thoughts is that some of my special uh, needs friends, my disabled friends, they have reflected more of Jesus and God to me than about anyone else. In their gentleness, in their kindness, their character, in their love. And, and Jesus sees this, and he was like, you know, this wasn't caused by personal sin. It was caused because we have a broken world that sin messed it all up, and so we have broken bodies that break down. We have things that don't come, that happen right. It, we just, we, it's, it's, it's a corporate, it's a, it's a sin, original sin, but it's not a personal sin that someone has a condition, or someone has cancer, and someone doesn't, or someone's, this person's healed, and this person's not. That's, that's not what it is. Neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I was thinking of my uh, uh, daughter, Reagan, and Riley, and their friend, Martin, this week. And I thought about how Martin has been battling um, kidney disease the last several years, and he's been trying to get a transplant and on a transplant list. And, uh, you know, recently his, his brother was um, 
you know, rejected from that list. And so just kind of there wasn't a lot of options, but Reagan has been talking about what kind of, what a great young man that he is. I'm just making kind of clear up here at the beginning. It's a platonic relationship. It wasn't a girlfriend, boyfriend thing, but they were known as best friends, her best guy friend, uh, because, and the reason I say it was platonic is they didn't meet each other's requirements. Uh, Reagan's 5'11", Martin's 5'6". She was too tall in his opinion, and he was too short in her opinion. Uh, but they were two peas in a pod, and they were good friends, and they were actually a friend of Riley's too. But um, as he's battled this, uh, she says, you know, he's had even this recent news. Uh, last Sunday, talking to him about his brother not being a match, he said, it's okay. God has a plan. And God's plans don't always make sense. Things don't always make sense. I, we don't always understand it. But I trust God. I trust that he has a plan. He had a, a, a great job out of college working for LinkedIn. And about a month ago, he got, uh, there's big layoffs and got let go. He loved his job there. And he, once again, he said, God's got a plan. I don't understand it, but I trust him. He applied for something else. It didn't work out. And he was like, God's got a plan. I trust him. And then he would turn oftentimes the conversations to Reagan and he said often the, he goes, often our conversations are uh, somewhere and it's like, Reagan, what is God doing in your life? What is God teaching you? Where do you see the Lord is, is at work? Where do you see him leading you? Those are often the conversations that they, they have. And I, I'm reminded today that sometimes that in our in our pain, in our pain there can be purpose. And Martin has understood that in his pain, though he doesn't want it, he's praying for her and wants a different result, he has prayed for a different outcome, but yet he understands that God has a purpose. And he's said, I don't necessarily understand it, but I trust him. And I know God has a good plan. Some of the Pharisees later in verse 16, and I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. You'll see a lot of miss for sake of time. Jesus heals this man. Jesus heals this man. Um, he tells him to do a few things. Sometimes he heals instantly. Sometimes he asks for obedience, whatever it may be. I don't understand why God heals in some situations and other ways that he doesn't. But in this situation, he said, do this. He did it. He came back. He was healed. Everyone saw him. Everyone in the community is going nuts and crazy. He's the talk of the community. He's the talk around the temple. And so much so that uh, they bring him to the Pharisees because they're like, we got to see this. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is talking about Jesus, the one who healed him. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This man has just been healed. And all the Pharisees can focus on is how he was healed and when he was healed. They, 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 they missed the boat. So often they missed the boat. So often they focused on the majors. They majored, in, excuse me, they majored in the minors and they minored in the majors. They were the type that they would, they, would, they would step over a dollar to pick up a nickel. They just were masters at missing the obvious and missing the point. And some of the Pharisees were like, we don't care how he's healed. He didn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they, they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Back to that question, who is Jesus? 
And at this point, this blind man says, I don't know, really know who he is. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. I know he has to be from God because God can't do what just has been done in my life. He can't give a sight to a, a man that's been born blind. So yeah, I know he's from God. He is a prophet. Who is Jesus? He's still on that journey to discover. They did not believe that they had been blind, that he had been blind and received a sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, duh, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how we can see, how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. The parents don't even seem happy. Actually, they seem more scared, which they are. They're scared of losing their position and the place and whatever reputation they have left because remember, in their society and in that Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, they would have been, as parents of a, a disabled person, they would have been rejected. They would have been shamed. Their son would not have been able to be a part of the temple, and maybe they felt like they couldn't be a part of it either. And so they, they'd been shamed. They had been rejected. They had been outcast. And they had probably come to a place in their life where there was somewhat of a comfortable place that they've found to live, and maybe they found themselves, okay, no one's focused on us anymore, we're kind of obscure, we're not in the limelight, uh, you know, people aren't focused on us, and then all of a sudden this brings it all up to the head again, and they're like, you know, we're tired of this, we're tired of rejection, and we're tired of shame, we kind of found our place in society, and it seems like they're protecting themselves and their reputation his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He was only could focus on the good news. You would too. We would too. If we'd been blind and now that we could see, would anything else matter? Nothing would else matter. Nothing else should have mattered to anybody. Everyone should have been jumping up, praising God, giving glory to him. But they were so, their heads were buried in the sand. He's just saying, I don't know what happened. All I know is this is good news, guys. This is good news. Some people, they can't accept good news if it bites them or slaps them in the face. You know anybody like that? <laughs> you know, they just, they can't receive good news. I mean, don't raise your hand like me, but I mean, if my person might be next to you. But you, you're like, they, they can't take good news. They can't receive good news. It's always bad. They, they got to find a way to make good news bad news. The Eeyores of society, the joy suckers all I know is I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Then they hurled, excuse me, then the man answered, now this is remarkable. 
You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Do you see the blind man's getting bold? I mean, he's getting brazen. He's facing the religious leaders, and he's found this new kind of freedom. He's been set free. He's been, he's been delivered. And with this good news, he's been emboldened, and now he's bold. And friends, the same is true for us. The more we know how much God loves us, the more we know how much God has done for us, the more bold we will become. The more bold we will become in our lives and our walk with him when we know what he set us free from, when we realize what he's done for us, when we realize that we're a child of God loved by the king, that we're the apple of his eyes, that his thoughts are always on us. The more we know that, the more bold we're going to become as followers of him. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. At this Man were not from God, he could do nothing, some said. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out, which would have been nothing new for him. In fact, this day was probably the first day he'd ever stepped inside the temple. Maybe for his parents too, or maybe they found a way in, but he was on the way out. But he had always been a cast out. He had always been rejected. Because of his condition, he was rejected from the, from the religious leaders. He was rejected from the temple. He could not go inside. He was not allowed because there was something wrong with him. And so shame was cast on him. Rejection was cast on him. And that's all that he had ever known. So he had been thrown out as just another rejection. The man had been thrown out. What about us? What about you? You ever felt rejected? We all have. Rejected unfairly? Shamed? Maybe rejection of yourself even. Maybe, maybe shame from your own sin and from your own regrets. Maybe from the shame of others and things that wasn't your fault. Maybe from the rejection of others. But we, we've, we are in this story. We are one of two people. We are, we are, we're either... There's only three characters in this story. There's the Pharisees, there's the blind man, and there's Jesus. And we're not Jesus. We're never Jesus in the story. Those of us went to the Bible conference a few uh, months ago. We're never Jesus in the story. If you ever open up with the Scriptures and you're reading it and you're going, well, there I am. That's kind of, I act like that. I'm kind of like Jesus. It's like, no, we're never Jesus in the story. There's only two options here. We're either the Pharisee who are were so blinded spiritually, the, the most blinded people here was not the physically blind, but the spiritually blind, and the same is true today. It's better to go through this world blind and to be able to spiritually see than to go through this world and be able to see with our eyes and be spiritually blind. Lowell Holland was a guy in my dad's church and growing up, and uh, he was uh, wounded in the Korean War, lost his sight, and my dad used to say of Lowell Holland, he has more vision than most men will ever have, and yet he cannot see because he knew who Jesus was in his life. His eyes were open spiritually. He knew who God was. The other option in this story is we're the blind man, and we've been shamed or we've been rejected either of our own doing or the do of doing of others. Where does that leave us? That's where Jesus 
is talking now, and he addresses the Pharisees in this parable. He's, this blind man was healed, all the stir that happened in all of it, and now Jesus is getting to give a, a lesson to help teach. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, he's addressing them directly. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by, the, by some other way is a thief and a robber. Ask Pastor Dustin to help me find a, uh, what it would be for a shepherd um, at that time. Because we haven't grown up with sheep. We haven't grown up as shepherds. I'm just making sure you're awake. Do I need to do that again? Don't make me do it again. Okay, thank you. Um, I want to share two concepts of what it is uh, to have a, a sheep pen in that day. One was what you see here out on the hillside, the, sh the shepherd all by himself with his sheep. And uh, during the day, they can, or when, they're needing, when he needs a nap, maybe he, he has them come in, but they can go in and out. They can enjoy the safety of pasture. And then at night, um, they come in and he, he's their protection. He's put up, you know, he's gathered stones and sticks and whatever he can find to make a makeshift pen, and he himself has to serve as that gate. He doesn't have a, a, an ability out there to build a gate, so he himself is that gate that allows them to go in and out and find good pasture. There's the other kind of, of pen was when a shepherds, when they would go to town and uh, when they'd maybe go shop to get their shampoo or deodorant or whatever it was, I mean, they would, they would go into town, maybe the market, there would be a community pen. And they would drop their sheep off there and there would be a gatekeeper that would watch it for them and there would be mixed herds of, of different, uh, uh, you know, herds of sheep from different shepherds. But what, what distinguished and when they left and all they, they were intermixed, when they left the, the shepherd would come out and this is how they would be led. The one who enters by the gate of the shepherd of the sh is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has been brought out his, uh, on, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This would have been language that they would have understood. That Jesus was trying to paint a picture of the kind of shepherd and gatekeeper that he was. I, I've learned a little bit about sheep. And one is that they have good peripheral vision, but they don't have good vision in front of them. I've, I'm learning that there's different ways of shepherding. There's a western way of shepherding and there's an eastern way of shepherding. The Western way of shepherding was to drive the sheep out with a rod. And the Eastern way of shepherding was to, to not use the rod, and this is the Eastern shepherd, was, shepherd Jesus was describing and who he was, but he called them out with his voice. They knew his voice. They knew his tone. And even if they were mixed sheep in a, in a pen, when the gate was open and he began to call on them, they would, they, would, they would know their own shepherd's voice. And they would know a voice that wasn't theirs. A, a, a few weeks ago, I was out there before our first service, and uh, one of our volunteers uh, that helps in our tech booth, Matt Baxter, um, he got a call right in front of me. We were talking, got a call, and looked down, and I, I saw that it was his wife. 
And so I just grabbed the phone from him. I flicked it on. I said, hi, honey. And it was silent just for a minute. She said, this is not Matt. And I said, it's not. She goes, no, Matt does not call me that. Matt calls me sweetie pie. No, she, she didn't say that. And, you know, you can, I think Matt was in the first service. I forgot that. So it, it, we know the voice. The same is true for us. You know your wife's voice. You know your children's voice. Being your pastor eight years, if, if I've been here with the whole time, I, I'm a pretty good chance that if I pick up the phone, there's, there's a 70, 75% chance I may know your voice. I may know your name. I think about one of our cattle ranchers um, here. I think of, of Andy Clark, and I've been out to his, uh, his herd of cattle I can't remember, there's like 260, 70, uh, 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 270, 180, can't get 80 out, so why do I keep trying? 260 or 270, I don't know what it was, there's a lot of cattle. And I got to kind of observe and see some things, he asked if I wanted to participate, I did not want to participate, and uh, he's like, oh man, this is so fun, and there's poop on him, and there's different things. There's some things that he did, I was like, I can't repeat on a Sunday morning in church, and things that he was doing for his cattle and stuff. I was like, I do not know how you do this. And he's like, oh, this is the best job in the world, I love it. And he was poop flying down here, and there's crap all over his, you know, he just, I love, I love it, I love this. But what impressed me about him was, and he said, he, I had to ask, is everyone, is all ranchers like this? He goes, no, there's some of others, but no, a lot don't, you know. Um, but for him, he knew every single one of their names. It's like, they all look alike. How can you all know that? I mean, they're all black cows. I mean, I mean how, do you, how do you tell that? And I said, I began to point. What's that one? That's Flossie. And I was like, Flossie doesn't look any different than, who's that? That's Joe. And it's, it's a guy and a girl. I mean, what's, how do you know that? And he goes, look at that little thing on their ear. Or look at that little spot right here. He knew, and there was a comfort level with them around them. There was a comfort level that wasn't as comforting around me. I believe this is the closest thing I've seen to a, you know, a shepherd and the voice, and they're knowing the sound of their master. And Jesus is saying, I am not one who's driving you out. I'm not one who's casting you out. The, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they're, they're, they've cast you out. And that is not mine. My invita mine's an invitation. And I'm not leading you with a rod. I'm not driving you with a rod. I'm leading you with my voice. And my sheep know my voice. Why do we harp so many times about you know, spend time in God's word and spend time in prayer because it takes time to know someone's voice. It takes time to get to know a voice. And the more we spend time with them, that voice becomes undeniable and unmistakable and we begin to hear the quiet whispers of the voice of God. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them because they were blind spiritually. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. They will find safety. They will find my presence. 
The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. This kind of life where Jesus says, I'm the gate, doesn't mean that there's, there's a safety of pasture and that bad things are never going to happen to us. That's not what Jesus was promising. Jesus was promising, I am the gate, and if, if you come through me, no matter what circumstances you're in, when, when you need comfort in it, when you need me to be close, when, you, when you're going through it, come on in, come on inside the pen, and come close to me, snuggle up to me, and get under my, get under my protection, I'm there for you. But you, you, know, you also have the freedom, when things are good, to come in and out and enjoy my presence, and to, there's a flow, there's a relationship, there's a, there, there, there's a blessing and he's saying, that's the kind of life that I want you to have, that no matter your circumstances, I want you to know that I want you to know that I'm the gate to peace. I'm the gate to, to joy. I'm the gate to comfort. I'm the gate to, to finding true purpose and meaning in life. I'm the gate to all that you ever wanted. Tuesday morning, I received a a call that friend of Reagan's, Martin, um, his his roommate and another friend, a friend group that I knew, all these boys, and Derek called and he said, hey, um, Kent, wasn't Pastor or Mr. Peterson or anyone else. Um, actually, I prefer it that way. But he said, Kent, um, I have some bad news and I need to call Reagan, and I want to make sure Riley's with her, and I just wanted you to know about it first so that when you receive a call, you'll know what's going on, and you can have some support. Sunday, Martin had talked with Riley on the phone, and um, she had had a good conversation, and the words kind of closed as often they did with, I love you, I'm thankful for you, and I'm praying for you. Those were three things that Reagan said I was able to communicate to Martin. Monday, Martin spent all day not feeling well and throwing up off and on all day, but wanted to spend time with his nephews and wanted to spend time with his brother, who at one time he was estranged with, but praise God that they were tight and God had brought them together. And he spent the day with his brother and his nephews. And then that night, there was supposed to be a kind of a post kind of college group that was going to get together a 4th of July early fireworks thing, but he wasn't feeling well. So he asked his brother, he said, I'd just like to watch a movie with you. And he says, sure, you, Martin, you pick whatever you want. Let's watch it. And he said, I want to watch, I can only imagine. Tuesday, late morning, early afternoon, received a call from his roommate, Derek, and Derek said, I found Martin in his bed, and he was gone this morning. And I just wanted you to know, because I'm getting ready to call Reagan, I know this is going to be really hard. There's some things that I wanted you to know about Martin. Not that how he died, but how he lived. That even though, even though he just found out another disappointment that there was not a match, and his brother, and his brother was like, "Hey, if I if I offer my kidney for someone else, they'll move you up on the list. It'll it'll raise you up." So he goes, "No." He goes, "If the Lord wants to take me, I'm, I trust him." 
I was reading something his, his brother said and in recent days, in the last few days, he told his brother, if I die sharing the word of God, it will be worth it. Martin knew his purpose. Martin knew the gate and the gatekeeper. And he knew that he had access to the Father and through the Son, whether here, it was like Paul, whether in the, he hadn't given up, he was still planning on living. It came as a complete shock and as a complete surprise. We were still praying that God would, uh, would uh, bring someone and there would be a surgery. And that's, that's where everyone, and including Martin, was thinking. But I can't help but think in recent days, knowing that he got to have those conversations with his friends one of those being Reagan on Sunday, knowing they got to spend Monday with his nephews and with his brother, and knowing that the movie that he chose was I Can Only Imagine. He knew the gate. He knew that despite his circumstances, it didn't matter. He was in the presence of God, whether here on this earth or whether in heaven with him, it did not matter. To be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord, but he was okay being here as well too because he knew the gate and he knew the gatekeeper. Do you know the gate? Do you know the way? Do you know the gatekeeper? Do you know the, the one who loves you? Martin knew I remember some of the words that Reagan shared. She goes, of all my friends, and I'm not saying anything bad about my other friends, but including myself, I don't know anybody closer to Jesus than Martin. Martin lived his life on purpose and with intention and probably more intentional in 23 years than what some of us live in 52 years because he knew the gate. He knew the gatekeeper. Friends, there's nothing more important in this life or in this world that we have this peace, that we have this joy, that we have this love, that we know that we are a child of God, that we're deeply loved by Him, that we know that whether we go in or whether we go out, we're not going to be leaving the presence of God, that He's going to be with us, that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, that He'll be with us to the very end, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, nothing in all creation, neither height nor depth nor anything, nor, nor, nor dangers, nor heartaches, nor sickness. There's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord because in Christ Jesus we have a gate that we can go in and out and enjoy his presence. And it is good news this morning. So we celebrate the good news. And I pray that we're not Pharisees, that we reject it once again and we continue to put it on and say it's something else. I pray that we're just the blind man who just needs our eyes to be able to see. Maybe today you don't know Christ as your Savior. Today God's lifting the veil. He's lifting the blinders and he's saying, here I am. What are you going to do with me? Will you receive him as your Lord and your Savior? Or you just continue on like you've been going? Have you done on other invitations in the past? Or today you're following Jesus and you're I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the situations that you're in. I don't know the health diagnosis. I don't know the loss that you've experienced. I don't know the relationship struggles that you're in. I don't know what pain that you're dealing with. But I'm telling you, there's a gatekeeper. There's a shepherd who knows you full well. 
And he's, a, he's that shepherd that wants to give you the picture that he's not there to drive you away or to cast you out. He's there to invite you in. He's there to, to, make you his, to make you his own and to comfort you and to love you with his presence and his power. Would you pray with me this morning, Heavenly Father? Thank you for your love. Thank you for this picture of a good shepherd and gatekeeper. And I know we're going to talk more about the good shepherd next week. I'm excited about that. But Lord, I thank you that you are the gate. You are the gate to joy. You are the gate to joy. You are the, you are the gate to peace. You are the gate to love. You are the gate to life. Life to the full. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to trust you put our faith in you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I just want to give you this opportunity as we always do, but today, today is the day. You maybe have listened to this before, but you haven't said yes, but today is the day you're going to say, I don't understand it all completely, but I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I won't call you out, embarrass you. Thank you. Thank you. Saw my right, my left. Thank you. Just going to pray a simple prayer. We're not going to pray our prayer we normally pray, but doesn't matter what the words are it matters what our heart is but we just fetch you this morning we're all pray this together we just pray this prayer Lord Jesus Lord Jesus thank you for dying on a cross for my sins thank you for opening a gate that I may come in and have a relationship with you Forgive me, cleanse me, and make me yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for my friends here this morning that are going through some things and they may not understand it, it doesn't make sense to them. But like Martin, they can just say, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. Heads bowed and eyes closed again this morning. You're just going through some. You're going through it. I don't have to know what it is. No one has to know it's around it. But you're just saying, I'm, gonna tr- I'm trusting God right now. I need his help. I see you. God sees you. See others. Others this morning, I'm trusting you, God. I don't make, doesn't make sense. Don't understand it. But I trust you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand. And even those that have not, that Lord, that right now that you would just Help them to leave from this place knowing that they're not leaving from your presence, that you're going with them, that they're, may they hear your voice, may they hear your gentle, loving voice telling that they're a child of God, loved by you, that you are, your plans for them, they're good. We sang that song today, I believe your plans for us are good. Your plans for Martin are good. Your plans for Martin are being completely fulfilled in a way that we could never imagine. So, Lord, we're not gloom and doom. We're not, we're praying for miracles and prayers to be answered. But, Lord, what we are choosing to do is say, God, we know that you're with us. You're going to walk through it with us. And so we will trust you and we will let you lead us. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. And all God's people said,